We would like, as usual, to welcome our internet audience to our program and to our broadcast today. Not only do we try to get the services themselves out to where the people are, but we're on sermon audio as well, and sermon audio makes all of the messages that we preach from this platform available to people. And we have heard from various places all over the world that get our messages through sermon audio. Rather recently, we heard from Singapore. We heard from Africa and other countries in the world who hear what you're able to hear this morning. And we thank the Lord for that. What an outreach. What an outreach. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter number 59. The 59th chapter of the book of Isaiah. And as you're turning to that, I want to make this statement. I do not know of any other chapter in the Word of God that so depicts the world you and I are living in today. So pay close attention to the 59th chapter of the book of Isaiah, beginning with verses 1 through 8 and then verse number 12. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but, it's a very important word, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch cockatrice eggs and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. Their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, And the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil. They make haste to to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not. And there is no judgment in their goings. 
They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. And verse number 12. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. I want to borrow from the text in verse number 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you, that He will not hear. I want to speak on the subject of sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. Sin is a very disruptive and destructive thing. It destroys everything it comes into contact with. Sin is physically destructive. It is socially destructive. It is domestically destructive. It is emotionally destructive. It is morally destructive. And it is above all spiritually destructive. The most damage and destructive thing which sin does is to separate a man from God. Sin does not bring people to God. Rather, it drives them away from God. When our Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross of Calvary outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, He spoke It is recorded seven times. And one of those seven sayings was this, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It raises a very important question, and should. Why would the Father leave his Son in his dying moments? Why would any father leave his son in his dying moments? But moreover, why would God the Father leave his son in his dying moments? When Christ was born in Bethlehem, the Father dispatched a multitude of angels to Bethlehem to celebrate his birth. And what a celebration it was. I know it isn't Christmas time, quote, unquote. But let me just read that to you in Luke 2, 11 through 14. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And what was the result of it? And suddenly, they didn't plan on that at all. They just happened. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward man. What a rejoicing time 
when God sent the Lord Jesus Christ into this world. And during his earthly ministry, on two separate occasions, God the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Yet, on the cross, the Father separated himself from his Son. Wouldn't talk to him. Wouldn't stay around him. Separated himself from himself. Why? I wish people would slow down in the age in which we're living long enough to answer that question. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? It happened the very moment that sin was imputed to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ knew no sin, but sin was imputed. And that word imputed means placed on his account. You make a purchase at the gas station or at the grocery store or at the department store and you pull out a little card and when they get through stamping that card, they give it back to you. It means this, that whatever you bought is now charged to your account and you have an obligation to pay for it. Christ had sin imputed to his account. And now he must pay for that sin that is imputed to his account. 2 Corinthians 5.21 The Bible says Christ became sin for us. He became it. How did he become it? By imputation. He became sin for us who knew no sin that he might be made the righteousness of God by faith in him. Sin drives God away. And when Christ became the imputed Son of God hanging on that cross, imputed with our sins and our trespasses, the Father departed. Sin separates man from God. And Jesus Christ was a man, and it separated him from God the Father. Thus he prayed, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Again our text says, But your iniquities, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. There is, first of all, a separation. God said, God saw, God divided, God called, God said, God made, God created. The whole first chapter is about God creating the heavens and the earth. And when God created the heaven and the earth, he loved that creation. He moved over it with glory and pleasure. 
God created light. He brought beauty out of chaos. Everything was in darkness and God created light and he said it was good. He created the earth and the oceans and he said it was good. He created the sun, the moon and the stars and he said it was good. He actually embroidered stars all over the firmament by day to give the creature something to look at at night. <laughs> Isn't the Lord good? He created the grass and the trees. He created the gardens. He created the flowers. And he said it was good. He created the fish of the sea. I often think about the fish of the sea. He gave them paths of travel to keep them from running into each other. Isn't that pretty good? Huh? Now we poor humans, we don't have sense enough. So we just run into one another every day. But you know, I don't think I've ever seen a fish laying belly up on top side of the water, just getting ready to croak and has but one message I ran in with a bigger fish down underneath. Fish don't run into each other. God did that. God did that. Not only did he create the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, but when he finished, he said, it's good. He created all animals and human life. He created human life in the image of God himself. And when he finished, it was good. God then looked over all of his creation, all that he had created, and he said, it is very good. God took great pleasure in fellowshipping with Adam and Eve in the garden. Quite frequently, God Almighty would come down to to the Garden of Eden and speak with Adam and Eve and talk with them and fellowship with them. But the fall in the garden brought about a separation between God and man. In that second chapter of Genesis, verses 15 through 17, the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. God was certainly speaking more of a spiritual death there. Though Adam died physically 900 years later, but on the very day he ate the fruit, something happened. God wasn't there. All of a sudden, he was all alone. And when God came to visit with Adam, he came with a question, Adam, where art thou? And Adam said, I was afraid. And I hid myself. God wasn't there. Something had happened. Sin had driven Adam 
and Eve, not only in a spiritual death, but my dear friends, it drove them out of the Garden of Eden. That's the presence of God. They could no longer live in the presence of God. That word driven, and that's in the King James Version, incidentally. Adam and Eve were driven out of God's presence. That word driven in the Hebrew means to thrust out. It doesn't mean, would you mind just leaving now? I'm kind of sick and tired of looking at you. God threw them out. It is the same word sometimes translated divorce in the Hebrew. A separation had taken place. God was no longer there. Adam and Eve were chased out and driven out and no longer would he visit them anymore. The availability of God became the evasiveness of God. Study your Bible. Study your Bible. The Israelites were forbidden to visit God at Sinai. When they had left Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, one of their great stops, and they were looking forward to it, was Mount Sinai. They were going to see God. They thought. But that would never, never happen. He punished them and he pushed them away with fire and thunder. There was a sign, so to speak, on the mountain of Sinai that said, You are not welcome. And the only man that God let go up there was Moses. And he told Moses, he did tell the people, Don't even touch the bottom of the mountain. For if you just touch it, I'll kill them all. Something had happened. Sin drives God away. When Moses went to Pharaoh and said unto him, The Lord wants his people to go out here and have a feast unto him. And Pharaoh said, Who? And Moses said, Well, the Lord God. And Pharaoh said, who is God? Something has happened to man separated from God. Elijah had been taken up in a chariot of fire and his follower who's going to take his place was Elisha. And the raiment of Elijah fell down on Elijah. And Elijah said, where is the God of Elijah? He knew what had to be done, but he could not do it. Where is this God of Elijah? And I do so like the responses of Job. When he got as low as he could possibly get, he was sick, he had sores, he lost his wife. He lost the respect of kids. His friends cared not anything for him. You remember what he said? Job said, oh, that I knew where I might find God. If I somehow knew where I could find... Sin separates man from God. Always has, always will. The text again says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. But there's some good news. 
God in mercy and in grace began to again make himself known and available. There was the building of the tabernacle, if you will recall. And God would meet with his people over the mercy seat. In the book of Exodus chapter 25, listen to the reading with verse 17 and following. These are words of instruction that God gave to Moses. You're to make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. Thou shalt make two cherubims of gold of beaten work. Shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on one end, and make a cherub on the other end. Even on the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee, and there, pay attention church, And there I will meet with thee. I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. God is beginning to move toward his people in the tabernacle. He's going to meet on the mercy seat. Not only that, but Solomon was commissioned by God to build a temple which would replace the tabernacle. And so great was the power of God on the day it was dedicated, the people couldn't even get into the service. Let me read to you from 1 Kings chapter number 8, where it says this in verses 10 through 13, And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Then spake Solomon, the Lord said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. I have surely built thee a house to dwell in, a settled place for thee to abide in forever. As far as Solomon was concerned, that temple was a place where God's presence would always be forever. And it became to be known the house of the Lord. That's what David was talking about when he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Why in the world would you want to come to church? I tell you why. Because God is here. The Lord Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there will I be in the midst. And then there was the birth of Jesus Christ. Who was this Jesus Christ? 
none other than God incarnate. Christ came to demonstrate what God was like. He came to demonstrate what God was like. Whatever Christ did, God did, for Christ is God. His name reflects it. In Matthew 1.23, his name, we know his name will be called Jesus, but he also had another name. His name shall be called Emmanuel, interpreted God with us. Do you understand that when you talk about Jesus Christ, you're talking about God incarnate, God the creator put on human flesh and came into this world. Jesus Christ is that God. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. You get down to verse 14 and it says, And the Word became flesh. What Word in the beginning with, was the Word? The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, even the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When the Lord Jesus on one of his teaching assignments was speaking to the disciples in John chapter number 14, in that 14th chapter, Philip raised his hand to ask the Lord a question. He said, Lord, what does the Father look like? I mean, we know who you are, but what does God look like? Show us God. Show us the Father. And you remember what the answer was? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. For I and my Father are one. I want you to see that that chasm and that separation that happened at the beginning when Adam and Eve in the garden sinned against God is slowly beginning to bring us back to God Almighty. He's doing that. We're not doing that, but he's doing that. Now, Christ on the cross removed the iniquity or the crime or the law-breaking. Christ on the cross removed the iniquity that caused the separation between God and his people. In that 59th again, verses 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, God can still save, neither his ear heavy that he cannot hear. He can still hear, but it is our iniquities that have separated us between us and God, and our sins have hid his face from us that he will not hear. But there's good news. Also in Isaiah chapter number 55, it says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come to the waters. He that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat 
ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Now watch this one. Verse 3, incline your ear and come unto me here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. And in verses 6 and 7, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. What are you looking for today? It's amazing the things that people are looking for today. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call you upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And any Bible student should be well versed in Isaiah chapter 53 verse number 6. All we like sheep, we've gone astray, but the Lord hath laid on him the sins of the world. Doesn't say that. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us, the sheep who've gone astray. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. God took the sins of his elect and he placed them on his son that the son might pay for them. And if the son has paid for your iniquities, you will never have to pay for them. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He became sin for us in order to pay for our sin debt on the cross. Christ went back to heaven to send the Holy Spirit to come down and live within his people. In Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, so says the evangelist Paul. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, and yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Have another question for you this morning. How can one in heaven live on the earth at the same time? How can one in heaven live on the earth in the same time? He does it through the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, verses 16 and through 18. John 14, verses 16 through 18. The Lord Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter. That he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. For he, that is the Holy Spirit, dwelleth with you and shall be in you. That's how one can live in heaven and still live on the earth. Through the Holy Spirit. No wonder he said in Hebrews 13 verse 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. This separation 
of sin that keeps men from God will be completely abolished when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. That is for the elect of God. In John 14, the Lord Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. Now don't stop the verse. That where I am, there you may be also. There's no more separation. It has no more abolishing effect whatsoever for God's people today because that which abolished a, uh, or set forth this separation between God and man has been removed by what Christ did on the cross of Calvary when he died for our sins. And might I say that when he comes again, he'll take his people up and away. Never read that, but I don't think of the song. Up and away, all right? He'll take his people up and away. Where are we going? To a prepared place. And if he prepared it, you can rest assured, my dear friends, it'll be the greatest place that you've ever been in your whole entire life. And it's called the New Jerusalem, where we shall live with him forever. And when we kneel before him, we will say as Thomas did after the resurrection, my Lord and my God. My dear friends, Sin is a terrible thing, and it has not improved. Somebody said, well, sin is not what it used to be. No, it's it's the same it's always been. It is an abomination unto God. And people today who turn their back on the Lord Jesus Christ and persist in their sins and their revelry and their rebellion and their transgressions And in their iniquity, they're a million miles away from God. And the only way they'll ever get to know who God really is, is to by faith admit their sins and come to Jesus Christ as the only way that they can be saved. This message needs to go out around the world today that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And if a man will realize he is a sinner, he can be saved by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. I encourage you to trust Christ today. Be a part of that great multitude of believers. When the Lord comes back, we'll be caught up to be with him. One other verse, Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. I can sometimes hear a a self-wrought wife saying to her husband, I can forgive you of a lot of things, but I'll never forgive you for that. I can say 
Maybe there were two men who used to be very close friends and one of them did something to hurt the other one and he would say, listen, I I can forgive you for a lot of things, but I'll never be able to forgive you of that. As a child of God and as one of God's elect, God himself knows of no sin that would keep him from forgiving all of your sins or all of my sins. And I'm sure glad for that A-L-L, all, all of our sins. Let's stand please for prayer.